launch in three, two, one. Go. This is a dangerous beat that we're dealing with now. Introducing the Dog Pound Daily Podcast with your hosts, Andrew Sight. I must be louder. And site expert Stephen Kabitza. If it's a blowout, Monday's podcast is going to be a bummer. But if they win, it's going to be a party. This DJ's so funky, man. Okay, let's go. We are back for the Friday edition of the Dog Pound Daily Podcast. I'm Andrew Sight. Joining me as always, Stephen Kabitza. Stephen, we've been waiting a long time for this, uh, this week. It's called Josh Gordon Week. Um, if it wasn't for Josh Gordon, the only thing I would be really looking forward to is the fantasy playoffs. But, you know, what are your expectations for Josh Gordon this week? I want to keep them respectable and logical, but I'm going to say he's going to be the first 100-yard receiver for the Browns this season. I want to start him, but, like, I don't know. Because I'm in second place, and if I win, I get the bye. And I have Samaj P. Ryan as my flex. And I really don't know if I should pull the trigger. I'm favored by 20, but I don't know. He's too good, though. He could end up with, like, 25 points, and then I'd be, you know, kicking myself. I, it's either that or he's going to just lay, lay an egg. Or Hugh Jackson is only going to put him out there for, like, six plays, and I'm going to have a heart attack. Yeah, I mean, even the, the plays that we saw, I was looking at some highlights earlier that like from the last game he was back a lot of screen plays a lot of uh you know scheming josh gordon open but the problem is that was with kyle shanahan as offensive coordinator now you've got hugh jackson who doesn't seem to be very good in terms of play calling with the wide receivers that he's had but maybe with a guy like josh gordon we can start to see what hugh jackson really has in terms of a play calling arsenal yeah and this isn't meant to be said like in a funny way but the fact that josh gordon was pretty messed up last time he played running the wrong routes and everything hopefully now maybe they can do a little more complex of an offense with him he's not just gonna be wandering around the field well yeah he has at least a decent amount of experience in from the preseason and training camp he spent with the Browns, so that's good I, I forgot about that so it's not like he's walking in blind really in terms of the playbook and some of the terminology so you know maybe that is something that suits uh <laughs> suits the offense but now we almost think that if Hugh Jackson was pass happy before now what's going to happen with a, an actual target at wide receiver I think hopefully the running game doesn't suffer from that if you're pass happy with Ricardo Lewis and Rashard Higgins as two of your top receivers, I think Deshaun Kaiser might throw 50 passes. And that begs the question, he's been really good about his turnovers the last three weeks. I mean, Jacksonville is a bit of an anomaly, but that, that defense is pretty nasty. But when you look at Deshaun Kaiser, I mean, he's been pretty good at not turning the ball over from an interception standpoint um, two out of the last three weeks. And if he's going to drop back 50 times and try and force it to Josh Gordon, which we all kind of anticipate that he will, he could either have a really great day or we could have like a Nathan Peterman five interception in, you know, five interception type day. He's going to need Gordon to do what Gordon does best, which is basically just pluck the ball out of the air. No matter where the throw is, just grab it away from defender. Cause no one can realistically cover Josh Gordon. If the ball's thrown high enough away from a defender there's no way anyone else can get to it he's he's got the biggest like megatron skill set i mean i just don't think anybody would be him julio jones like calvin johnson there's there's only a few wide receivers like that that are built that big that can run that fast and have the catch radius that they do so i'm excited to watch i just don't 
know what to expect really if it's going to be kind of a ho-hum day for the offense or if this is going to be a guy that comes on the field and goes for 150 and two touchdowns and you gotta think they may want to double team him but it's his first game in three years and also you got Corey coleman on the other side of the field so you're kind of limited in your options i mean they're going to make adjustments because the chargers are a good team and they'll do that but when you have Corey coleman and josh gordon two legitimate number one guys when gordon's you know playing and healthy and good and all that it's maybe we'll see some real offense but at the same time the browns are 0 and 11 and i think we we do this every week where we're like all right keys to victory gordon 200 yards easy breezy (laughs) Uh, that's i don't so two things i have in regard to your statement you actually think Corey coleman's a number one receiver on this team yeah, I mean, Richard Higgins and Ricardo Lewis were also number I, one wide receivers. Let me say, I'm referring to like the guys in the Browns. Okay, but like, if you were to judge Corey Coleman two years removed, I mean, do you think he has the potential to be a number one receiver? Not like a Julio Jones because he's not built that way, but a guy that is going to get maybe has a floor of like six, seven receptions for 120 yards or that guy that, that you can really count on similar to what Michael Thomas is over in New Orleans. I do. You do? I think based I on don't. his sample size of barely playing because his hands and his quarterbacks, he's done pretty well. I just don't think – I mean, he could be a good possession receiver, but I think with what we saw at Baylor, the guy that scored all those touchdowns and you know beat all those DBs for touchdowns on long routes – we just haven't really seen that guy. We've seen some big plays, but he's also failed to capitalize on a lot of those big plays that he's missed. So I, I, I don't see him as – I see him as a good number two, but I just don't think he's a guy that will live up to the number 15 overall draft draft slot that he was picked at. Were you also going to attack my every week we talk about exciting things? You had two well, points was, to attack. I felt I felt the tension through the no, face time. I, I was going to – well, I was going to attack the fact that there's any keys to victory in this one for the Browns really I I think (laughs) as much as we like to say it is a revenge game I think it actually is for San Diego they're coming in hot from Dallas uh Phillip Rivers had over 400 yards and three touchdowns Melvin Gordon didn't have that great of a game on the ground but obviously when Keenan Allen's bringing in over 170 yards it's you don't really have to so I I just think they're playing too well right now and the Browns defense as we saw last week is just not going to be equipped enough to to handle that that offense Keenan Keenan Allen might get 300 yards he might yeah I just I, I haven't seen a Browns receiver ever put up that since Josh Gordon so it's if the if the Chargers can run the ball with Melvin Gordon I mean that should be their first line of attack and if the Browns can stop that maybe there's a chance because Philip Rivers can always turn into three interception Philip Rivers as well but if you can't stop Melvin Gordon then that, that's going to be that's going to be an issue seeing as how they couldn't stop Joe Mixon last week I think the fact that we're, I mean, it's right to be excited about Gordon's return, but the fact that really the main talking point right now in an 0-11 season is a receiver playing for the first time in three years is another knock on how far the Browns have fallen. Oh, the culture's done. And at the same time, you have the owner, the FBI might have some dirt on him, like legitimate legal dirt. So you're looking at a situation where, is he, I guess, he going to make changes? And, you know, ownership could, I mean, NFL ownership changing hands, something, he'd have to be indicted. Well, again, if the team's making money, 
They're not going to. Yeah. If he's in jail, it doesn't. I don't think the team's in his name. I'm pretty sure it's in. That'd be like Arrested name. Development if he's like yeah. running the team from jail. <laughs> well, D Haslam could still run the team. Yeah, and I think that even worse on top of the fact that he is dealing with that, he's completely bungled the Tennessee head coaching search, which is complete Brownsian move on Jimmy Haslam's part. Not only can he tank an NFL franchise, but he can take a, a Tennessee franchise that has, or program that really hasn't been all that great and has a, a pretty big inflated view of itself. Quick side note on that. I think the Tennessee football thing's really interesting because that's a program at one point they had the highest athletic budget in D1. Um, I remember used to work in an athletic office. The school I was at and we were both at did not have the highest budget. But Tennessee has this insane budget. They make all this money and they really haven't been good. I mean, like in the BCS, post BCS era. And yeah. they, tr- they treat their head. They're on, I think they're on their ninth choice. That's like a Browns head coaching search. Oh, it's the Mike Patton coaching search all over again. They, I think that was the year they went for Chip Kelly, right? And then Chip Kelly went to Philly, and they went after all these guys. Josh McDaniels, I think. I think Josh McDaniels is in the mix every year, but I, I wouldn't. if I were him, I wouldn't move until Tom Brady retires. He's, he probably gets paid better and has way less stress than he would coaching. Why would you want to coach the Browns if you're coaching one of the best quarterbacks ever? I mean, that's that's part of the, the reason why, as much as I've questioned Hugh Jackson's decisions and play calling, and just general like lack of accountability for this team, I think he should be fired. But again, where are you going to get a suitable candidate? I know I've seen on Twitter the John DeFilippo, Matt LaFleur, uh, a couple of those guys, the more coordinator, you know, up-and-coming coordinators, but is that going to work? I mean, are we going to – or is that something that we're, we're still going to see more of the same? It's, it's tough to tell because Hugh Jackson came in with so much fanfare and hype. And if we get a new coach, it's going to be the same thing. They're not going to hire someone and be like, oh, he was our last choice. They're going to come in and talk the talk. They're going to have the number one overall pick, probably take a quarterback. But then, I mean, there's the group of Browns fans who only remember, barely remember what they had for breakfast in the sense of if we get a new coach, they'll be like, all right, 10 and 6 next year, 11 and 5 playoffs, new coach. But then there's the other part of Browns fans like us where we're like, ah, we want them to be good. But really hiring a new coach, like you said, firing Hugh Jackson and getting someone new, they're not going to get a major name. So does that really inspire much confidence? Or should it? I mean, yeah, the draft picks are enticing, but if you're a new coach, you're essentially starting over again. And you, you even said it yourself, if, if it's not their guy, I don't think they're going to go ahead and take that chance you know last two years ago when they got Hugh Jackson it was the oh he was he's had head coach experience before you know he he went eight and eight with the Raiders in his first year and then got a raw deal and maybe he's definitely getting a raw deal here but again I think that was Jimmy and D Haslam's first choice as coach and regardless of how bad he's coaching I think until they do something about the quarterback position and either land a veteran or really get some weapons on offense he's going to have that plausible or benefit of the doubt you know even though he necessarily shouldn't have it i'm really big on them trying to get tyrod taylor because i don't think buffalo wants anything to do with him which is wrong they should want something to do with him he's playing well for them but he could definitely be a type of guy that would work here and i mean we sometimes use the term bridge quarterback i just use competent quarterback because he could be i mean if you have a guy play for two three years just play every game that's, I mean, that's 
a thing the Browns really haven't had in years. Yeah, and a, a little known fact too is a lot of Browns fans jump all or I mean NFL fans in general and NFL media jump on the Browns for trading away that pick for Carson Wentz, but the Bills, you know, they passed on Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson this year. So it's it's not only the Browns that are that are struggling to find this quarterback, but I think the Bills are a team that's, you know, gung-ho for a first rounder this year or a guy this year in the first round. It's it's just all going to depend on whether or not they want to keep Tyrod there as that uh that veteran presence because if they look across, you know, the, the look across it to the Browns and see what they did with their quarterback position. Having a veteran there is mu- is far more valuable than it is, you know, just trotting your rookie out there, regardless of how ready they think he may be. I think they might keep Nathan Peterman around. I keep trying him because there's no way that'll be the only start he makes for them. I, it just doesn't make sense, though. I mean, if you if you're Buffalo and he Tyrod went back in the game and they beat the Chiefs last week and Peterman was just terrible to watch. Tyrod Taylor knows that offense and it. it, it to bench him in the first place was pretty stupid, but for them to let Tyrod Taylor go at the end of the season also doesn't make much sense. Just like Washington letting go of Kirk Cousins, I just don't think there's a good chance of that happening either. Why you just don't let franchise quarterbacks go? That's the problem. It's oh, the Browns should go after this guy. One, if it's a free agent, you're going to have to somehow convince them to come for a meeting in Berea. Two, if it's a trade and they're on a giant contract, this front office is most likely not going to do that. It's going to have to be someone they draft on a team-friendly deal with that rookie deal, which is fine, too. They've got to, and, and I touched on this in my takeaway article because I found on the Dog Pound Daily website an article from about three months ago that, that I said trust in the process, that the process could work this season if it works with patience. And I think in that span of three months and 11 straight losses, I have you know completely think I, th- I think the process has failed to be honest with you and i think that's that's well documented but it's just i did not expect 11 straight losses you know i i and looking back i mean there was so much hope so much optimism you know just competent quarterback play that's the defense looked good early on but then you know everything just kind of fell apart and i don't know if that's due in part to not having that veteran leadership at the quarterback position or you know just coaching or all of it combined really they arguably played their best game of the season week one, mm-hmm. like against the best team, like best game against the best team. And then after that, they just bottomed out. I think that Colts game really started the fall, the free fall. Kaiser started making mistakes. Hugh Jackson keeps calling an offense for like Peyton Manning offense that Deshaun Kaiser is not equipped to run. Well, that was like that Colts game was just the, that was like the sobering game where they were like, okay, maybe this team really isn't that good. Because Pittsburgh, you were like, okay, if you know, if we can play like this every game, you know, we're gonna we're gonna be in some games. I picked you know? them to win week two over the Ravens. Exactly. Yeah, we and we looked at that schedule after that and said, you know, maybe against these teams we can do it, and it won't be that bad. Texans look pretty bad against the Bengals on Thursday night, and then they were down twenty one. Was it twenty one to seven or twenty eight seven against the Colts Something in the first bad. half? And it was, I mean. Without Andrew Luck, that was not what you were expecting, and I think that's what really started to, you know, be the downhill slope for this team. It's almost like the defense didn't game plan for Jacoby Brissett, which is a crazy statement to have to make. Like our defense didn't plan for Brissett, and they gave up thirty-five points. I mean, maybe that changes this week against the Chargers. I think, 
I, I again I don't think there's a chance that the Browns win this game against the Chargers or even cover. It's a thirteen point spread. The Browns are they've not only covered good. five times with Hugh Jackson. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, they don't even because cover. spreads are usually very against the Browns. Yeah, I mean they outgained the Bengals last week. Didn't have any turnovers. Similar time of possession and lost by fourteen points. And I think a lot of that attributes to red zone struggles, which Kaiser's going to have to improve upon. But maybe that having Josh Gordon back both as a red zone threat and just the fact that he could take it to the house at any moment, maybe gives the spark that they can score some touchdowns versus actually trotting Zane Gonzalez out there to miss field goals. They're going to run so many four verticals, 10 yard outs with Richard Higgins who can't make the cut. So it's going to be a pick or Ricardo Lewis who can't catch the ball. (laughs) I mean, wouldn't that be the most chargers thing though, to lose to the Browns at home. Speaking of that, our um, friend in Foley, Alabama, Stu, was a San Diego Chargers fan. I believe he's obviously and rightfully so upset at this L.A. Chargers team. But I think it would be funny if the Browns beat the Chargers. I think it would be funny, too. It would be you know, at least a nice, uh, at least one victory. One a victory. way for Stu to remember us. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen, though. So you'll be in good hands, Stu. As long as Phillip Rivers doesn't throw three interceptions. Even then, though, I don't think the Browns would have enough offense well, last week they dropped two interceptions. Uh, they can't make plays that like could turn things around. It's you're waiting for that time where you know a quarterback drops back and the, the Browns need a defensive stop. Or like last week, there were so many times where the Bengals had third and long and the Browns just couldn't get off the field. And you have guys like Brian Body Calhoun, you know, trying to intercept the ball, just going right off his hands. It could have been six the other way. It's just it's some of those plays. It's just they can't make them. And that's I think that's easily the most frustrating part about this season. Plays like that, if, like, out of context, the wail I let out sounds like I just had, like, a heart attack or something. It's the, ah! Like, what happened? What happened? He had it. He had it in his hands. Schobert dropped one. Body Calhoun dropped one. There comes a time, like, it's, I say it like it's statistically hard to be 0 at 11. It's statistically hard to drop every single ball thrown your way. I mean, it's statistically hard to be this bad all the time. So it's I, like I, it's like if you were <laughs> if this was taught in like a stats class that they're it'd be like they they're turning it around soon be like well maybe we should look at it from a hundred year scope this is just a like eighteen year little dip oh, I just feel like Harry Doyle when I'm sitting in the press box like just put <laughs> Jack Daniels in my coffee while we record this podcast like man I can't you know they're just not gonna win now ball four ball four well <laughs> ball think of that eight, parallel though the, the Indians were bad for forty years. The Browns at least had a winning season 10 years ago to break that streak of, like, the, I'm just saying the Indians were so bad. Imagine if we did a podcast about the, be like, hey, man, you know, I know I know the owner's spending <laughs> lowest payroll in MLB again, but that's how it, fe- I mean, that's the feel, and I think it's worse because the, the Browns came, like, they left, and they were a good franchise, and they came back. So it's kind of that angst of, like, this isn't even the real Browns. That's why it's so frustrating, too. Yeah. I mean, when you look at just their the level of play, I mean, uh, even watching the Josh Gordon highlights, it was better to watch the Browns when they had four wins with Brandon Whedon at quarterback than a guy like Deshaun Kaiser, who we drafted in the second round. We had the first overall pick, Miles Garrett. You know, we have some guys on the team that are actually good players, but what I think is really lacking is is just that the, those veteran players that provide not only depth, but the ability to, to close out a game. So, I mean, we look at, look at the guys we've gotten rid of, Demario Davis, John Greco, 
Joe Hayden, uh, Desmond Bryant, you know, guys on the defensive line that can help plug a hole when a guy like Jamie Meter goes out or, you know, a linebacker to fill a hole when a guy like Jamie Collins is out for the year or, you know, they got rid of all these, these not, you know, starters, but guys that provided a little bit of depth of positions where you had a lot of young guys that I think kind of did this team a little dirty. Now looking at all the injuries that have piled up over the season, it would have been nice to have those guys. Oh yeah. And to your point of just, it was more fun to watch with those four win teams the Browns haven't scored at least 30 points yet this season. And as you may have guessed, they did not score 30 points last season. In their win over San Diego, they had 20 points. Going back to 2015, the Josh McCown, Johnny Manziel days, I'm, they scored 33 points in an OT win against the ravens in week five that was the only game josh mccown won as a starter for the browns on the road on the road so even them scoring 30 points which teams like the patriots or the packers with aaron Rodgers can do on a whim for the browns it's like a miracle well i mean look at the offense hugh jackson was this offensive mastermind coming out of cincinnati with i mean that was andy dalton's pro bowl year aj green had a pro bowl year you know they were supposed to go to the super bowl before he got before dalton got hurt with that thumb injury and even when McCarron was in there, you know, that offense still was working pretty well. And when he came over to Cleveland, that was supposed to be something that we were, that was supposed to follow suit. And in the year, I don't know, Mohamed Sanu was a free agent. Marvin Jones was a free agent. Those two guys are tearing it up respectively in the NFC with their teams. I mean, those were guys connected to Hugh Jackson and also linked to the Browns and free agent rumors, and they never made a serious offer. So you almost wonder how that might have affected Hugh Jackson's relationship with the front office from the outset because he wasn't able to get the the weapons that he wanted or knew who was familiar with, you know, with his time in Cincinnati. My view is that they hired Hugh Jackson, everyone was excited, and then they had their first meet, like they had their interview and they're like, yeah, and the Haslam's liked him, and then they sit down and talk personnel. Sashi Brown throws down a binder, Hugh Jackson throws down a binder, and they're just completely opposites. And then... But the only thing they agreed on was that they shouldn't draft Carson Wentz at number two. But aside from that, it just seems there's... It's like when they signed Bryce Treggs. It's like Hugh Jackson's like, why really like Treggs? Okay, he's not that good, but it was just an example. He probably pushed for it because his receivers are so bad. And it's just... There's, and every time, I mean, every press conference he has is like LeBron James-level pettiness toward yeah. the front office. Like, we're just not equipped to score the ball from the three-yard line before halftime. Like you're not I wrong. Don't blame him for that though, because well, I'm, I'm not. I'm saying he's not wrong. It's just like, yeah. man. Well, I just think it's tough to trust. I mean, Kaiser's thrown so many interceptions in the red zone. They've done done so many dumb things that if you if you just want some points to go into the half, fine, take it because <laughs> they've found ways to to cost themselves points in previous games. So at some point, just do what you need to do to take points into the half. Don't get too fancy with it. And just you're not Carson Wentz of the Eagles. I understand they can get 20 points off in three or three plays off in 20 seconds, but the Browns are not the Eagles, so it's it's unfair to expect that. Yeah, but what's it saying about your team? You're an NFL football coach, and you say our team's not equipped to run a touchdown. Oh, yeah, play. I'm not. I don't. Defend that reflects the poorly on him too. Because yeah. you're the coach. You you should prepare them for such situations yeah that's that's definitely an indictment of Hugh Jackson I mean I don't I don't get what that says about the front office that says more about him in general if you if you can't run a two-minute drill efficiently I think that's something that they would run every day in practice I'm not a head football coach but I would think that's something they would work on seeing as how you know it's it, those are probably where most of the points come from 
you know, that, that changed the game. So for Hugh Jackson to not have his team prepared or have Kaiser prepared, because I think they called a timeout, didn't they? Or something. Well, I they mean, called they, a timeout with like a minute something left, but they were out of timeouts. Well, even when they got down to the, the red zone, I think on their first drive, they had to call a timeout on second down. That's like, I mean, it's five minutes into the game. Like, come on. What are you not? What are you preparing for the entire week? You get down to the red zone, so all of a sudden everyone's confused. Maybe they're just surprised to be there themselves. Yeah, I, I'm very curious as to what they do in practice all week because it seems as soon as they get in the game, it's like panic and this every all the planning. Well, the first, I mean, a guy like Hugh Jackson most likely scripts the first series of the game. And even that is just like, did you really spend all week planning to run the ball in first down, get stuffed, incomplete well, pass on second down? According to Hugh Jackson, the guys work amazingly hard, and they work really hard all week. Well, I'm sure so they, they do. They work really hard on something. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the game plan or they just – there really hasn't been any game where we've gone maybe even four quarter, like close into the fourth quarter be like, man – it's been a really good game so far because usually by the fourth quarter something happens something tragic happens and the browns end up being down by multiple touchdowns and it's really out of reach at that point yeah it's it's i mean it's the same thing it's the the path we've chosen to talk about the browns every week there's really no hugh jackson will most likely get fired i think um him and ben mcadoo can go coach their own team i i see i want to think that jackson gets fired but then again i don't think they have anybody to replace him and when you look at who has more established credibility in the NFL between Greg Williams, Hugh Jackson, you know, that coaching staff, I think Sashi Brown is definitely the, the scapegoat and, and would be the, the decision that most football guys agree with rather than firing Hugh Jackson, because everyone in the league seems to love Hugh Jackson and, and, you know, for him to get out of Cleveland. So maybe Haslam realizes that, but it's not to say that Hugh Jackson is a good coach in a bad spot. I think he's, he's done his fair share of, you know, mishaps. So what do you think as a score prediction for Sunday? I don't want any optimism. I want to, not that you have any, a true <laughs> score prediction. Uh, every time I do this, someone goes, oh, you're, I think my dad did that one time. I was like, I, I think it was the Texans game or maybe it was the like, second game of the season. 70 like, to oh, five. <laughs> I was like, Browns lose 30 to 15 or something. My dad's like, oh, way to be positive. And I'm like, well, I mean, and then the they lost. prediction. They, someone put up 30 points on him and he's like, well, at least you got that right. I was like, yeah, cause I just don't think they're going to win. Uh, I don't see the Browns scoring over 17 points. And I think even that's a stretch for them against this defense. It's going to be 34, like 34, 13, 34, 17, 34, 16, maybe. I mean, it's just not, it's not going to be a fun game. I'm going to say the Browns cover the spread Good for at you. 27 to 16. You put your money down. Good. You'd be a terrible better, or you've been waiting for that eternal optimist because they don't cover ever. So five maybe, times, maybe, fingers crossed. This is the time I'll win on the slot machine. I know it. It's bound to hit sometime. <laughs> Thirteen points is a high spread. That's true. I do you think it'll? I think it'll come down before Sunday. Though it will. Uh, I, I'm, or at least I'm guessing it will. I it could be down now. Early. We don't know. Yeah, I don't know who the early money's on, but who knows? Vegas always knows something. So the more it shrinks. You know, that's the more Philip Rivers will be turning the ball over, I bet. They have to score. Peppers has got to get some sort of special teams touchdown or defensive touchdown. Like, that that's how they're going to win a game. They need to, to score from somewhere not on offense <laughs> or, like, need that as an additional score to really put them over the top. And we haven't seen that this year outside from a – I think McCourty had one. They haven't had, like, one highlight play. 
Like a highlight reel of this season would be like Miles Garrett's five sacks or whatever. <laughs> that would be Jordan Payton in like the first <laughs> the first game catching that long touchdown from Kaiser. Well, that was preseason. I know. That's what I'm saying. That's how bad. All their four the offense, preseason wins. The offense was at its best in the preseason when they had, you know, against the third and fourth stringers of all the other teams. I remember Kaiser throwing some deep bombs, and I'm like, all right, <laughs> looks like I got to start him. And it's like, wait a second. He those guys, the those guys on the Giants aren't going to make the team. <laughs> uh, That's back when it was for those about to Brock. We salute you. Saddest tweet ever from the Browns. Yeah, that and I uh, didn't. O- Odell Beckham got hurt in that game too. That was like the start of his like kind of terrible season, just from a health standpoint. They also hurt Brandon Marshall too. Oh yeah. The yeah. Browns hurt two top receivers for the Giants whose season is completely spiraled out of control. Indirectly getting Eli Manning benched from the from the being the Giants starter. That's a ridiculous thing. I get you want to get you want to take a look at the young guy, but I mean at some point Eli no. Manning's won you Insane. two. He's won you two Super Bowls. And they're clearly tanking for a quarterback. Well, he's never done anything wrong, and it wasn't even his fault either. I mean that's. Whatever Ben McAdoo is going to do, what Ben McAdoo wants to do. Well, you saw that they wanted that they said we'll still start you, but no matter regardless of score, we're taking you out at halftime. And the owner said, "No, like that's stupid." But he's not changing. He's just like that's stupid. And Eli was like, "Why would I do that?" Well, and I see a lot of. Uh, I think you tweeted this yesterday, actually, about where Eli Manning's going to go next year. And obviously, people want him to come to the Browns, but that's not going to happen. No, if you're the way. Giants, and you're going to go after a young guy. Like I, I, I'm going to go ahead and assume that Geno Smith is not going to be back next year. They're going to draft a guy in the first round somewhere. If it's Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, I mean, wouldn't you want Eli Manning to mentor that guy? I mean, two-time Super Bowl winner, like I said, a guy that comes from. He's, he's going to go down as a Hall of Fame quarterback, so who's better to mentor that young quarterback than Eli Manning? You would think, but I don't know what the heck they're doing there. It's it's not good there. and In that market, it's insane to see them implode. Here, we're used to it. The me- It's just part of the local media is commenting on the situation. There, they've had the same quarterback since 2004 which I can't even fathom. The Browns have had like 40 quarterbacks since I don't even 2004. know who the Browns quarterback was in 2004. Tony I think it was Holcomb? Jeff Garcia. Jeff, Gar- Was that 2005? I think Dilfer was 05. Dilfer was now, this 04. is just off the top of my head, but... I don't know. No. I'm sure my uncle will text me and tell me which year it was. No, no, no. Trent Dilfer, <laughs> local Cleveland Browns star, yeah. was after that. He was terrible. They're all terrible. Gr- I miss that strategy. Jeff Garcia, way past his prime. Jake Trent Dilfer, not very good. Jake DeLome, Seneca Wallace. Now it's like, who's the youngest quarterback we could draft? <laughs> like, legally allowed to play in the NFL. Now I'm, re- I'm ready for this 4 o'clock game. I'm ready to sleep in. And- Ugh. 4 o'clock? I forgot about that. I don't want it to be a 4 o'clock game. Yeah, I think I mean, we really don't have too much to talk about anything else. We talked about the game, talked about Josh Gordon. I'm curious to see how Josh Gordon goes, but 200 yards, two touchdowns. I hope. Well, for for myself and Stephen Kabitza and the Dog Pound Daily Podcast, we are signing off. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe on iTunes.